Hello everyone, this is Drew Precious, Director of Communications at the Presidential Precinct. I'm pleased to welcome you to Season 3 of the Global Founders Podcast. Here we will share highlights of our latest virtual programming initiatives, originally aired as Zoom events on the Presidential Precinct Network, featuring the voices of our program alumni and trusted experts working to further any of our six core focus areas. Thank you for joining us today on the Global Founders Podcast. Everybody. My name is Neil Piper and I'm the executive director at the Presidential Precinct and you know, as many of you know at the Precinct we make lifelong investments in emerging leaders who have a bold vision to change the world. Since 2012 we've hosted 1,200 leaders from 160, 160 countries around the world uh, through programs here in Virginia and uh, we bring together over 6,000 leaders virtually through the Presidential Precinct Network. You know, I must admit, at times, I feel like the luckiest person in the world. I, you know, I'm associated with some of the most inspiring leaders in the world, and this includes you, the folks that are joining us here today. The work you're doing to improve communities is truly incredible, and we're really grateful to have you spending time with us today. For today's 2020 talk, we're joined by Precinct alum Grace Jerry for an important conversation on removing barriers and ensuring hope for people with disabilities. Grace is like family to us. Since coming to the Precinct in 2015 as a Mandela Washington Fellow, I've seen firsthand the impact she's making in Nigeria and around the world as a music artist, as a disability rights advocate, and a peace promoter. You know, one of my favorite memories with Grace is uh, when she introduced President Obama at the Mandela Washington Fellowship Summit in DC. You know, after she uh, introduced the president, President Obama came out and said, following Grace is like following Michelle. She is so good that you feel bad when you're approaching the stage because you're thinking, I'm not gonna be that good. And today we're, you know, really lucky to have Grace share best practices for leaders working to promote inclusive responses to COVID-19, along with examples of effective advocacy for people living with disabilities around the world. Grace will also share how she has used music as a tool to share key messages in her community and bring hope to our world when we need it the most. Grace's original song, Take Responsibility, many of you may have seen it already, has informed and empowered community members across the African continent to care for each other in the COVID-19 pandemic. We're gonna get an opportunity to see that video here today. So for the format for today's conversation, Grace is gonna speak for 15 minutes, followed by 15 minutes of Q&A. And throughout the presentation, uh, we ask that you type questions in the Q&A area at the bottom of your screen. And follow the talk, I'll ask Grace each of your questions. So Grace, I'm gonna turn it over to you. All right. Thank you so much, Neil, and thank you so much to the Presidential Precinct. I actually feel at home and um, I, I'm just excited at this opportunity to be able to share um, you know, stories, best practices, 
and overall um, the impact of you know the crisis with you know what is happening in Nigeria with the world. So um, and I'm also excited about the topic of discussion today. You know we're looking at removing the barriers and ensuring hope for people with disabilities, especially in this time of crisis. And we, I mean, I would say that it's, it came to every one of us as a shock, you know, pandemic that we have not, you know, experienced. We didn't envision this happening anytime soon. Like every one of us came into 2020 with so much, you know, hope and, um, you know, excitement, looking forward to achieving so many things. And then boom, you know, COVID-19 just took every one of us by surprise. And for me in Nigeria, I would say that um, COVID has further stretched, you know, the vulnerability in, you know, the system and in some of the sectors in my country. You know, when you look at the health sector, when you look at the educational sector, when you look at employment opportunities, when you look at, um, I mean, um, accessibilities in terms of environmental accessibilities, the COVID-19 pandemic has just, you know, further stretched the vulnerability in this system. You know, prior to this pandemic, we all have been grappling with the challenges in the health sector. And when I say we all, I'm talking about people with disabilities. Because um, if you look at the health sector, it's not even um, factored in a format or in, in, you know, the accessibilities in the health sectors is not even um, suitable for people with disabilities, so to say. And um, even before the, um, the COVID pandemic, people with disabilities hardly even have access to health facilities. Very little people find their way um, to access these um, health services. And basically for lack of access, accessible ramp into the health facilities, at, uh, communication barriers between the deaf um, a person and probably the health practitioners. And um, when you look at all of those barriers, people with disabilities would rather stay back than accessing these services. Access to sexual and reproductive health has also been a huge challenge, you know, for people with disabilities. So um, when you look at the health sector, when you look at the educational sector right now, people are forced to work from home. And when you look at a child with disability who probably um, comes from a very poor background and all he or she relies on is scholarship or support to be able to, to you know, enroll in school and even you know, um, stay in school. Right now that child is forced to stay back at home and um, with very little internet access to be able to have his or her um, you know, continue, continue, continuity of like her education online. So, you know, when you begin to look at these various challenges, you will understand that even before COVID-19, this has been, you know, part of our advocacy to improve on the health sector, to improve on the educational sector, especially for children with disabilities, and especially for women and girls with uh, disabilities. So, um, um, when... Um, Additionally, when you look at information, how information has been disseminated, uh, this period it's actually has been a huge challenge because um, a lot of sensitization have been ongoing on TV on how people can you know, take care of themselves 
in terms of preventing the risk of contracting the virus, how people can uh, ensure sanitizing, washing of their hands, social distancing, and other um, health regula uh, regulations that have been disseminated out there. At first, when it started in my dear country, the dissemination of this information was quite poor because we had the presidential task force um, who, was, who were always coming on TV to put on, you know, like um, informations on how people can take care of themselves. But then the barriers that we realized or the barriers that we saw was that these messages were not captured in formats that um, people with various, you know, clusters of disabilities can access. And I think one of the things that we should take into cognizance is, the, is that, you know, disabilities are, you know, in different um, stages. There are different forms of disability. So when you are disseminating information, you have to capture, um, you know, these various clusters of disabilities. When you're passing across an information on preventive measures, on how people can care for themselves, and how people can, you know, stay away from the risk of contracting the pandemic, you should, you know, bear in mind that the deaf would be listening. You should also bear in mind that if you're going to put on visual, you know, um, maybe infographics or videos, you should be able to caption it in a way that someone who is blind can understand whatever photo, whatever infographics you have put out there, you know, and also people with disabilities, I'm, I'm going to move back a little bit and talk about the health sector because a lot of people with disabilities had to even stay back home for fear of exposing themselves to the risk of the virus when they get into like a health facility. As you all know, um, people on wheelchairs, people with the white cane, you know, we rely on, you know, touching a lot of surfaces. Like I would have to wheel the rim of my wheelchair. It means, you know, my hands having constant contact, you know, with my wheel, the white cane, the visually impaired having to use the white cane would always have to use, you know, his white cane. And besides that, people with disabilities rely a lot on their personal aids. So in other words, when you're talking about physical, you know, um, uh, social distancing and having to like isolate, stay, you know, some feet away from people, you need to also, you know, consider the fact that people with disabilities rely a lot on their personal aid and on their personal assistance, you know. So for a, a person with disability who probably is just maybe sick and not even haven't contracted the virus, but who is sick and needs to access a health facility for fear of having to be exposed to that environment, the hospital environment, because I would have to touch the surface, you know, of the hospital environment, you know, it's easier for my hands, you know, to, you know, to touch something. So they would, for fear of contracting the virus, would have to stay back at home. And another thing you, we also have to put in, you know, recognition is the fact that those who are deaf, you know, have a huge um, interaction with their fingers and their faces. Because most of the communications, there is no way you can avoid, you can't avoid touching either your mouth or the side of your face or something. You know, so when you're capturing messages, you have to put, you know, um, you have to, you know, be careful to see that all of these are factored into it to ensure that all clusters of disabilities are rich. So I've talked about the health sector, I've talked about the educational sector, I've talked about, you know, uh, barriers with um, 
information dissemination, you know, and also when it comes to decision making um, in terms of um, what needs to be done in the times, in these times of pandemic for people with disabilities, it's also important that you have those various clusters of disabilities on the decision making table. I talked earlier about the presidential task force that was, you know, put together and on a, you know, day to day or weekly basis, they come together to discuss the way forward in terms of, you know, meeting the needs of, you know, the general public, having to talk about, you know, health issues, you know, for people. It's important that when these decisions are going to be made, the various clusters of disabilities are factored into this conversation because only the deaf can communicate with me or can communicate with the general public on what prevention and protection is for him or for her. Only a person on a wheelchair or a visually impaired person can you know, talk about what prevention or what, you know, what the preventive measures are for me and how it suits me you know, as a wheelchair user or as a, as a blind person. So it's important that from the early stage of you know, planning decision-making, that people with disabilities are captured in the process. One of the challenges that we saw in Nigeria was that discussions began way before consideration was made for people with disabilities. And I know that advocates, people with disabilities kept advocating for you know, access to information that have been disseminated access to palliatives that are being distributed, you know, access to um, health facilities, access to sanitary facilities, and, you know, these domesticated um, items. We kept advocating before, you know, that was factored into it. So my challenge is, or, or rather my advocacy would continue to be that from the planning stage, the inception stage, you factor people with disabilities such that they begin to plan the process of prevention, they begin to plan the process of provision, you know, for themselves and for their community. Um, poverty, you know, happens to be one of the very huge challenges that um, people with disabilities grapple with um, in this part of the world, in my country, Nigeria. And uh, as a result of the lockdown, we actually saw a lot of poverty. We actually, you know, saw a lot of people who um, who had very little or nothing to eat or to provide for their families. Um, most of the people with disabilities that I have encountered are self-employed. They have a petty business that they are running and that is their source of income and livelihood generation. And as a result of the lockdown because of the COVID-19 pandemic, most of them could not sustain, you know, this source of income and livelihood as such fell back into that poverty um, um, stage that you know they were in before. Um, for us, it, it's been a huge challenge. And um, I was just speaking with Neil earlier. As soon as the lockdown was relaxed, you could see that people rushed out and people just wanted to go about you know, their day-to-day -day activities. They just wanted to go up, start, start buying and selling, like more like activate that source of income and livelihood generation all over again. And that put us more at risk of contracting this virus. Because as soon as the lockdown was relaxed, mm -hmm. the numbers skyrocketed of people who began to, you know, get infected by this virus. And I began to call on, you know, the community of people with disabilities around me to say, hey, 
this COVID still exists amongst us. Like this COVID is real. You don't have to be in a rush to come out if there isn't a need for. And the thing you would hear from them is we need to survive, we need to eat. We need to have our source of income and livelihood going. And it's like the fear of the virus is no longer there. People are hungry, people just want to go out and you know, make sure they have something to bring back home for their families. So poverty you know, just became very, very glaring for uh, people with disabilities. And moving forward <laughs> is just to look at how businesses and source of income and livelihood generation for people with disabilities can be made more sustainable such that they can run you know, their businesses even from the comfort of their homes. They won't have to go out there to buy and sell. They won't have to go out there you know, to push on a day-to-day -day basis to raise you know, what to feed themselves and what to feed their homes. Um, another part I would look at is for those who, have, you know, who are employed you know, in some offices, but then people who are employed, people with disabilities who are employed are not even that so much of a number. And that also is part of the advocacy we are running with now, where we're talking about 5% quota employment for people with disabilities in every, you know, major sector in my dear country, Nigeria. But then looking at those who are employed, gainfully employed, right now people work from the comfort of their homes. How many of these people who are gainfully employed have like a sustained access to internet, you know, to keep working, to keep moving, to have that sense of, you know, day-to-day um, -day working, you know, from the comfort of their homes, you know? So the challenges are quite, you know, enormous if we're gonna look um, deeply at what is happening. So economically, self-reliance, um, challenges, luxury of life, luxury of internet, it's, it's quite, you know, very, very much challenging to every one of us. And like I said earlier, the crisis has just showed how vulnerable not just the system is, but just how vulnerable some part of the world can be if, you know, um, some facilities are not made either free or accessible for everyone. Internet in schools are supposed to be made available and free for every child. ICT, you know, knowledge on how to use the internet, knowledge on how to use the computer should be made free and accessible for all children, especially children with disabilities. I mean, special needs, needs teachers should be trained in such a way that, you know, almost every school you go to, you will find a special needs, you know, trained or a qualified teacher. And that teacher should also have knowledge of the internet, ICT knowledge to be able to engage in such a time like this where everything has gone virtual, learning and you know, communications has become online, you know, um, and all of that. And um, most importantly, access you know, for our health facilities. How can you go to a hospital and you on a wheelchair cannot even access the environment? How can you get to a hospital and you on a wheelchair can't even you know, get to the, 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 the bed that people have been admitted upon? How can you get to the hospital and communication is a huge barrier, you know, between you and the medical facility, I mean, the medical practitioners, you know. So these are the things that I think when we sit back and we begin to think of how we begin to redefine our sector, redefine how life would be moving forward, it's important that people with disabilities are factored in the process from this stage of conversation so that we begin to speak to the Disability Act that is already a law in my dear country, 
How can people have access to education, access to healthcare, access to transportation, access to employment, you know, and all of that? How can this law, you know, move from the shelf and become a reality in the midst of us all? So um, I'm using this opportunity to even call on disability advocates out there. I think now more than ever before, it's time for us to like intensify our advocacy. It's time for us to intensify our collaborations and our asking to be in line with what the Disability Act is saying. Um, because the crisis affects almost every part of the Disability Act that we are advocating for. When you look at health, you look at education, you look at employment, you know, access to political life and all of that. So I think now more than ever before, um, we need to begin to um, really, really put our plans together such that when this crisis ends, which I, I don't know how soon, but I trust that, you know, we would see the end of this crisis, like we will come out better out of this crisis, such that we begin a plan from now in preparation for post-COVID ensuring that our asking is consistent, our asking is sustained, and we work you know, with the right people, with the legislators, with the right and the key leaders to ensure that policies move off the shelf and become the reality that we live in. And I'm gonna end by saying that um, uh, music for me has been a very huge tool. Uh, the Inclusive Friends Association, which is my organization, we have been able to harness the power of music and the power of advocacy you know to go together such that when people don't listen to you talk they will listen to what you're saying in music and one of the things that we decided to do as our own way of reaching out to the community of people with disabilities with information on how to prevent the the, the crisis i mean the uh, the pandemic and how to you know keep themselves safe we came up with songs that people can actually enjoy from the comfort of their home. People can wash their hands. People can, you know, isolate, maintain social distancing, you know, sanitize um, and all of that. But above all, we decided that we would raise hope because um, at some point, the crisis, the, 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 the information that kept going out there on social media, on the mainstream media, you know, was kind of, you know, more like springing up fear in the minds of people. And I had people telling me they no longer listen to the news, they no longer watch the news because the informations that are out there is just, you know, very, very scary, very fearful. And it's like, there is no hope for this crisis. So they stopped listening. So we decided at Inclusive Friends, what do we do to keep people, you know, to make them listen and know that yeah, COVID is real, but you don't have to live in fear. COVID is real, and there is so much you have to do as an individual to prevent it by playing your part. And so we composed the song, the Take Responsibility song, and we put it out there. People can dance, and it's all addressing, you know, COVID-19. You know, people can be washing their hands and also be dancing to the melody and still know that, you know, I am playing my part by staying home. I am playing my hand part by washing my hands and all of that. So um, we had to, you know, engage the power of music to inspire hope, continuous hope, you know, in the minds and in the heart of people. And it gladdened my heart, you know, when I pass by the streets and I hear people singing it, I hear children singing it, 
I see people do their own, you know, video out of that song, you know, just to make sure that they keep inspiring hope. And the great informations and messages that came afterwards, uh, you know, people who felt once again that, yeah, this crisis is not, you know, I mean, this um, virus is not something that has come to put us down, but we can actually beat this COVID-19 if we play our part. So it's important that we as advocates also think of um, innovative ways that we can pass across information, either to the legislators, very you know, innovative way that we can pass our message out there and it will be heard. How do we advocate to our community of persons that we are reaching out to in such a way that it will be heard and it will not be boring? So we begin to think innovations, we begin to think of tools that we can engage besides you know, our day-to-day um, our -day implementation plans. Think of tools that you can use to engage, tools that you can you know, make sure that your issues are always at the front burner of discourse, at, um, you know, at meetings, at forums, and most importantly, we continue to change the narrative around our issues. Uh, the, 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 like I said, um, the, the vulnerability is just so glaring, but what happens post COVID? How do we change that narrative? How do we say that as a result of my advocacy, as a result of, you know, what I continue to talk about, how I continue to engage, you know, my stakeholders and my leaders, how has this vulnerability begin to reduce? How have we begin to flatten the curve of the pandemic? How have we begin to flatten the curve of unemployment? How have we begin to flatten the curve, you know, of access to education, access to transportation for people with disabilities, access to health, you know, for people with disabilities. So I would say that the power lies in our hands. The power lies in our strength of collaboration. The power lies in the strength of our voices. And the power above everything else, you know, lies with us. So if we continue to ask, we continue to speak, then I believe we will make headway, a huge headway. I don't know if my 15 minutes is over yet. This is uh, Grace. I mean, you're such an inspiration to all of us, and I feel really fortunate to be um, to hear firsthand what's happening on the ground in Nigeria. And I think I speak for for everyone in saying thank you for for sharing these insights. I don't think uh, many of us uh, know what's happening on the ground in Nigeria, specifically uh, with people living with disabilities, uh, the challenges without COVID-19, but then add this extra layer. Uh, you know, I think one of the big questions probably on a lot of our minds uh, that one of our uh, attendees asked is, you know, what do you recommend for how people, any of us on this call can uh, provide support or activism uh, for disabled or differently abled people uh, during COVID-19? What's the question again, Neil? What do you recommend and, uh, for the folks on this call and that may be watching uh, later, uh, how can we support uh, or provide activism for, for disabled or differently able people during COVID-19? All right, so um, I think one of the things I mentioned earlier was um, creating uh, jingles, creating um, video messaging, creating infographics, 
as a way of reaching out, you know, with information, safety measures for people with disabilities. But I think much more, um, one of the challenges that I saw big time was the fact that there was constant need, you know, of palliatives, sanitary items, food, and uh, medications, diapers for, you know, adults and children with disabilities. Um, so I think for me, that area needs to be sustained in terms of providing support. Um, the government of Nigeria tried to an extent to uh, provide palliatives, to provide food for this community. But then at a point, um, it, it wasn't sustained, so to say. And that was why I mentioned earlier that as soon as the lockdown was, was relaxed, people with disabilities just rushed you know, to the streets, rushed to their day-to-day -day source of income and livelihood as such, you know, have exposed themselves to be more vulnerable to the, you know, to the virus and exposing themselves to the risk of the virus. So for me, support would be continuous, you know, messaging, advocacy, I mean, um, awareness on the fact that people with disabilities should please ensure their safety first, you know. And another thing is to ensure the sustainability of this food supply, sanitary supply, you know, for, this, for these people. Um, some of the people with disabilities had to go out there because their assistive devices were faulty. And they needed the technicians to either walk on their wheelchairs or walk on their hearing aid, you know, and all of that. So these are the gaps that, like I mentioned, the crisis, you know, more like showed the vulnerability of our system. Uh, people with disabilities had to go out there outsourcing, you know, how, you know, the assistive devices can be fixed. So I think moving forward, these are things that we can begin to look at and how these services can be brought to the person with disability and not the person with disability going out there to source it as, and as such, you know, exposing themselves to more risk of the virus. So in terms of support, keep providing uh, the day-to-day -day needs, keep sharing information. Grace, uh, you've done a lot of work uh, with community members, you know, all across Nigeria, and it's been a, a big part of your work for advocating uh, people with disabilities. Uh, how are you staying in communication uh, with, with communities now, um, given some of the restrictions with COVID-19? How are you keeping yourself safe? And, um, and as well, are you seeing uh, differences, you know, with communities who have better access to internet than others and how this might be impacting them more. Okay, um, in the course of our work at the Inclusive Friends, we have built, you know, a lot of network of allies, a lot of network of um, organizations of people with disabilities from the grassroots all the way, you know, to the top. And before now we had devised means of communication such that even when we're not there in person, communications are still ongoing. You know, we have set up um, community leaders of people with disabilities. We have network of um, like the local government cluster leaders of people with disabilities. And these are people that we have been in communication with either through phone calls or through SMS or through the WhatsApp, you know, group. This was, this is how we have been passing across information and so, even with the lockdown and the restriction on movement, things didn't really, you know, stop. Things didn't really change because we still had our WhatsApp group where we were still passing across information. And whenever we had the opportunity, you know, to take food items, 
to take sanitary items to these communities. Of course, we are well kitted with, you know, the face mask and every other, you know, means of make, making sure we are protected. And we reach out to these cluster leaders who are stationed or people who are based in this community, you know, and, and that is how they reach the people in the grassroots. And then, of course, the people who have access to internet, of course, we have made sure that we have sustained the use of the Zoom and the webinar um, series such that we continue to communicate, we continue to engage, we continue to push for, you know, um, our issues and ensuring that work still is ongoing and nothing is on the, on, on the standstill because of the, uh, the crisis. Yeah. So I've got a question from uh, Dr. Jonathan Rosen. Uh, he, he'd like to know if there's a dedicated organization in Nigeria who's creating uh, medical technologies for individuals uh, with disabilities. Uh, he, he works with uh, students that are working in this space uh, at the University of Virginia and love to invite that person to speak to his class if, uh, if you know someone. Okay, um, there are a few, a few local organizations that um, are not as tech as, you know, what you have yet. I mean, what you have in the U.S., but then there are some local organizations within the country who um, are into the fabrication or, you know, of like prosthesis, like um, artificial limbs for people with disabilities, locally made ones, um, people who, technicians who can maybe work on like a faulty hearing aid, people who can like look at um, your wheelchair, your power wheelchair. But like I said, these are local organizations that are not as, you know, tech in tech wise as, you know, very high as what you have there in the US. And like I mentioned in my conversation, these are the barriers that we need to look into. These are the barriers that need to be fixed where um, access to, you know, all these medical devices can come very easily for people. Like those who use power chair, the electric chair, I have had, you know, electric chairs. I think I have like two that are grounded now. And basically for lack of having like the right technicians to get it fixed for you. So like right now I have to begin to use, you know, my um, manual chair to move around and all of that. So this, the number of people who are into medical, provision of medical devices are very, very little or not even available. So this is an angle that we should begin to look into moving forward, you know, in Nigeria. How can we have more and more factories? How can we have more technologies that address this issue on, um, you know, medical devices, medical services, tech-wise, for this community of people with disability? So one final question, uh, and then we want to have a few moments to share your video because there's a few folks that are wanting to uh, see your, your most recent uh, music video. Uh, in Nigeria, is there any data about people uh, with disabilities who have been infected with COVID-19? And is there any uh, studies related to uh, knowledge, attitudes, and practice uh, related to people with disabilities? All right, so I, I forgot to mention this earlier in my conversation, but access to data and accurate disability data disaggregated by gender, by age, 
types of disability is lacking in my country, Nigeria. When you read narratives, you know, some you will tell you there are like 22 million Nigerians with disabilities. Some narratives will tell you there are like 25, some will say over 30 million. So we do not have an accurate data of people with disabilities. And in the, it, as part of our advocacy over the, you know, the years, this is what we have been calling on, you know, the government of Nigeria to work closely with organizations of people with disabilities, you know, to put together this data. We also have been speaking to international organization, how we could gain the support or gain the grant to be able to have a more accurate data that people can use in my country. And, you know, for lack of this data, it became huge and it became very, very, you know, visible in this, you know, the period of this pandemic. when. Um, when people with disabilities needed to be reached with, I mean, with food or with sanitary materials, but then because of lack of data, um, the, the agency didn't know where exactly these people were. They knew where some, some people were, but they didn't know where others were to be able to reach them. So we, under, we, we, we understand that, you know, not everyone was reached and basically boils down to lack of an accurate data. So data is very huge. Data is one of the, you know, very strong conversations now in, you know, in our asking to say that it's about time that we have the data. At the Inclusive Friends, we have tried, you know, um, within the period of, you know, some years to come up with data of people with disability. But what we came up with is the data of um, those who were registered voters, those who were registered and eligible to vote. And unfortunately, we couldn't even put together data of all disability clusters or disability types. We were able to put together data of those who were blind and those who were deaf. Purposely so that the Independent National Electoral Commission in Nigeria would be able to know where to deploy, you know, assistive electoral materials for people with disabilities during elections. This has happened in the off-circle elections and happened during the general election in 2019. So right, that, that is just the data we've been able to come up with from um, 2017 till date. But like I said, it's just registered voters with disabilities. But we're looking at the broader perspective where it's not just registered voters, but everyone with a disability, either a man, a woman, or a child, and what type of disability, your location, you know, and all of that. So data is, is still a very huge challenge in my country. Thank you very much, Grace. Uh, now I'm really pleased to be able to have the opportunity to uh, share uh, your video with our group today, uh, Take Responsibility. So it's a couple minutes long and then we'll come back and close. sees great things whose faith can't be suppressed women children those with disabilities who have conquered many obstacles for the warriors in scrubs who are working to save lives we can make it easy and this struggle but Stay safe, stay safe. 
Grace, you have such a beautiful voice. It's absolutely stunning. And uh, thank you so much, Neil. Yeah, it's it's so amazing that you use um, your voice and your talent to make an impact. You know, and and Nigeria, and you know, with with COVID nineteen around the world, and uh, through disabilities around the world, your voice has been heard in almost every country. Uh, for those on the call, I encourage you to Google Ego Happen, uh, E and then G-O and Happen. Uh, it's a song uh, Grace wrote during her Mandela Washington Fellowship uh, to inspire leaders um, across the African continent to create change. Uh, she recorded a music video here and but you know, when I'm on a run, I'm, I'm often listening to that for inspiration. You inspire all of us, Grace. We're so lucky to uh, have you part of the family. And um, so thank you for being here and taking time out of your schedule to share your insights on this important topic. I also thank wanna you so thank, um, and I also wanna thank uh, everyone for taking time out of your busy schedule for joining us today. I know you've got uh, a lot of places you could be and you're here joining us. Uh, it really means a lot. And I uh, hope you join us uh, on July 1st. It's our next uh, virtual cafe, which is more of a casual conversation to talk about uh, current issues around the world and just uh, get to see each other during this time of uh, crisis around the world. Uh, some folks have asked, how do you stay in touch with Grace? Uh, Grace, maybe you can take a moment to share, you know, how people can follow your story. All right. Um, my organization is Inclusive Friends Association. So you can check our Facebook page. You can check our Twitter, Instagram, and our website, um, Inclusive Friends Association or Inclusive Friends and also follow Grace Jerry, you can, you know, read a lot about what we do. And of course, the presidential precinct have a couple of my informations that you can also look out for. So inclusive friends, inclusive friends, and Grace Jerry. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, website. Inclusivefriends.org. Yeah. Are you on the presidential precinct network? Yes, I am. And, and you can also, for network members, you can go to presidentialprecinctnetwork.org and you can message Grace directly, uh, yeah. get in contact with her and uh, continue a dialogue um, through the network as well. Um, but I just wanna close once again to thank everybody and wherever you are calling in from today, uh, regardless of the time zone, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your your day and uh and thank you again for being with us and uh, look forward to continuing our dialogue through the network thank you everybody